Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Hope you guys are doing well this Sabbath afternoon. I almost said morning, but it's not morning. Um, this week was a little crazy, and there was a lot of heaviness on my heart, um, just from a lot of different situations. But before we get into that, let's have a word of prayer. Loving Father, um, I just ask for your presence here, for you to send your Holy Spirit, that our ears and our hearts can be open. And Father, I ask that you just speak through me um, in the same way that you used someone that had a stuttering problem that was slow to speech, and Moses, and you spoke through him. Father, I ask that you just do the same and that you prompt me and you guide me through uh, the sermon that you've prepared. Father, I ask that this can be inspiring and encouraging for your children here at Wellspring. In your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. So, if you guys remember from the panel discussion last week, our theme has been to do justice, love kindly, and walk humbly with God. And this month, uh, we're focusing on the justice part. And I was thinking about how, what angle do I approach this at? You know, um, what about justice are we gonna talk about? And what about God with justice are we gonna talk about? And so what I had in mind last week completely changed as the week went on, and I'm just gonna read some news reports. This was Thursday uh, in Chicago. A woman who lives in the building called 911 after she heard about seven gunshots. She looked out her window and saw the screaming girl about four or five years old. My dada, dead, the girl cried. A police officer walked over to the girl and hugged her, she said. The female officer spoke softly and soothingly, trying to calm and comfort the child. That father that died was one of my client's basketball players. This was, two, uh, here's another one on Tuesday. A 20-year-old man was shot twice in the chest and a 22-year-old woman was struck in the back. They were both pronounced dead at Mount Sinai Hospital. This was one of my client's friends on Tuesday. In the past seven years of running the studio, every year there's been someone that I've lost because, or a friend that I know, they've lost someone because of the violence that goes on in Chicago. They were reporting that this past weekend was the worst of this year, 70 shootings said police on Monday attributed the dozens of shootings to gangs, the illegal flow of guns, and sweltering August heat that drew more people outside. Most of the shootings happened in poor neighborhoods on the west and south sides where gangs are entrenched, uh, said the police superintendent. And what's interesting is that days before this, these attacks, this weekend, some 200 protesters marched through a well-to-do north side neighborhood and briefly closed Lakeshore Drive, calling for more resources to stem violence in poor areas. So even despite 
this march, this protest, the result of it was the most violent weekend for this year. Now, this may seem a lot of hopelessness here. Last year, it was actually worse during the July 4th weekend, there was 100 shootings. But during that time, there was a Christian preacher named Christopher Hudson, and he called for an emergency and said, there's something going on crazy in Chicago. This was last year. And he said, we're gonna have an emergency um, and anyone that can donate to purchase copies of The Great Controversy, I'm coming to Chicago, July 16th weekend, and we're gonna distribute it all across Chicagoland area. And I've told this story before, but I've actually found the video for it. And so, instead of protesting, he went into the communities and used literature, just like the literature in our, um, in our mission spotlight, you know, which helped to change lives. And so this is the work that he did in Chicago last year. Uh, he worked, I believe, with the All Nations Church of uh, Seventh-day Adventists. So he came and he preached on Friday, Saturday, and then they did their outreach on the Sunday. So this is two weeks after one of the most violent weekends in Chicago. They're going to South Side, West Side Chicago. Them and other church members going out, passing out copies of The Great Controversy, which is a book that in the midst of hopelessness, the author Ellen White gives great hope through the story of Jesus Christ. They spent all day going to different places, distributing these copies, praying for people, being in the community. clients from these areas. This is not somewhere where you want to go and do these type of things. But they prayed for protection from God. And they went out and they did His work. They didn't just distribute, they fed the homeless as well. Prepared food, passed it out. to distribute 10,000 copies of The Great Controversy. And this is what got me on that day from 5.13 in the morning to 10.30 p.m. There were no shootings reported. I checked that with the police scanners, nothing. I asked friends, I said, is that normal? They said, this is not normal. That's something supernatural. And so what did they do? What did they actually do to be able, in such a violent city, to stop violence in 
Chicago for that period of time, for more than 12 hours. They didn't really do much. All they did was do what they said in Micah. They did justice. And it got me to thinking, okay, what, what is this justice? What does that mean? And when we look in Micah 6, and we look specifically at this verse, it says in verse 8, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. Now, this whole book, Micah is talking to a city that is just in ruins and have fallen away from God, pretty much separated from God. And before this, he says, you know, he's asking the city, he's telling the people, like, what does God want from you? And right before this, he says, with what should I come before the Lord and bow down before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And that's when he says, no. What he's told you and what Lord requires of you is what to do justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. And so this is what he's telling these people. This is how you need to repent is to do this. And then it goes on and he says, the reason why you guys are in such chaos, in verse 16, he says, you observe the statutes of Amri and every practice of the house of Ahab and you walk in their counsels as opposed to walking humbly with God. And so there we see what the opposite of doing justice is. The opposite is observing the statutes of Amri and every practice of the house of Ahab. And so, Starting from there, I'm like, okay, who is this Amri? And because if I know what he did, then I can better know what's the opposite and what doing justice actually looks like. And so he was a king. Um, I think he was the sixth king and uh, king of Israel. And he was not one of the best kings. So if we go to 1 King chapter 16. And if we look at verse 25, we'll see what they wrote about him. 1 Kings chapter 16. And verse 25. And so it says about Amri. But Amri did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all who preceded him the five other kings. For he walked in all the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, and in his sin with which he made Israel to sin to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger with their vanities. All right? So we know that the city that Micah was talking to, they did the same thing that Jeroboam did. Now we got to find out what did Jeroboam do? Okay, so that's a little earlier. He's actually the first king of Israel. So what happens, we have King David. He's the ruler of it all. Solomon takes over. Solomon messes up. And there's a prophecy saying 
that the nations are going to be split. So there's just Judah and then the rest of Israel. And this is what God says to Jeroboam. It shall be, if you listen to all that I command you and will walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight to keep all my statutes and my commandments, as David my servant did, I will be with you and build you a sure house as I built for David and will give Israel to you. And so there, pretty much God says to Jeroboam, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. And if you do what you do like David, then it's going to be prosperous. He's pretty much saying, you know, I'm going to make you one of the greatest here. And then so what happens is Solomon's son, Rehoboam, he becomes king and takes over for Solomon. And... This is kind of where Jeroboam gets scarred because uh, Rehoboam, Solomon's son, is like, well, actually what happens is Jeroboam goes to ask Rehoboam for, to like lift off the burdens because Solomon put a great burden over his people. And Rehoboam talks with his advisors, his young advisors, instead of the elders, and he pretty much says, no, I'm going to make it even worse, 10 times worse for you. Obviously, Jeroboam's going to be upset at that, right? And so that's when the split happens. And then so what does Jeroboam do? Instead of keeping his faith with God, instead of walking in his ways, he devises his own plan, right? Because he feels like they can't worship anymore over there. And it says at this point, the king got some advice and made two golden calves and said to the people, it is too difficult for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up out of the land of Egypt. He also made horses on high places and appointed priests from among all the people who were not Levites. And so pretty much he says, okay, God, I'm just going to do it my own way. I'm going to solve it my way. And I'm going to solve these issues, this broken relationship without you. And I'm going to do it my way. And so what happens from that? What is the result from that is he leads God's people into worshiping idols, into not worshiping God anymore and not keeping the commandments and not following God and walking humbly with him. And it gets to a point where an unnamed prophet tells him all of this, like, look, you're going down the wrong way. And then King Jeroboam is like, you know, stay with me, let's talk over food. And then a prophet is like, no, I got to go. I can't eat with you. I can't eat with anyone. I was just told to go here, tell you what's wrong, and go back home. And so he goes back home, and then on his way home, he runs into another prophet, and somehow that prophet convinces this prophet to go eat with him. And the story of that, what happens after that, that prophet who was supposed to go straight home gets eaten by a lion. Jeroboam knows all of this. And it says, after this event, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil ways, but made priests of the high places again from among all the people. And so he just went deeper and deeper into his sin, even when he got a warning. And it ends up saying here, Go tell Jeroboam, thus says the Lord of Israel, I raised you up from among the people and made you prince over my people Israel. Something exactly that David had, right? 
and took the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. Yet you have not been as my servant David, who kept my commandments and who followed me with all his heart to do only with which was right in my eyes. But you have sinned more than all who were before you, for you have gone and made other gods and molded images and provoked me to anger and have cast me behind your back. So this was the sins of who Micah was talking to when it says you follow the statutes of Amri and Amri follows the ways of Jeroboam. It's this, is that they started worshiping someone else other than the God that they knew. And they made other people fall into it too. So not only were they doing it, but they became a stumbling block for other people. And so when you look at that, that's one piece of what the opposite of doing justice is. So far we get is the opposite of doing justice is looking to other idols, right? For them, it was these golden calves that he built. So also Micah said that they followed the ways of Ahab. Ahab was the son of Amri, and he didn't fare too much better either. If you remember Ahab, he's the one that had the big squabble with Elijah. So at that point, Ahab is already recognizing another, another god, ba Baal, and Baal, and despite everything that Elijah does, Ahab still follows what his wife wants, which is that pagan worship of Baal, right? And so it's the same idea. The same thing there is the whole idol. That's the whole issue. And what we see then is the opposite of doing just is looking to these other idols and following the ways of these other idols. For them, Baal. Maybe in today's times, it's entertainers. Maybe it's rappers. Maybe it's singers. Maybe it's sports athletes. Maybe it's just music, whatever it is. The idols look different now. And so that is what kind of looks like the opposite, right? So now we kind of have a point of view and a reference of what the opposite of doing justice looks like. So now what I want to look at is, okay, what do they say about the phrase doing justice? And when I looked that up, the first time it shows up is in Genesis, and it's when Abraham uh, is housing God in his little tent area, and they have a little dinner, and that's in Genesis 18. Genesis chapter 18, verses 18 and 9. And it says in here, Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by him, I chose him, and he will instruct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteous and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he promised him. And so there we see right away, it says, to keep the way of the Lord, in order to do that, it's by doing righteous, righteousness, and justice. So we get a little scope and a little view of, okay, this is what doing justice looks like. It relates to being able to keep the way of the Lord. Okay, where else does this show up? Um, if we go into Leviticus chapter 18, and we look at verses 4 and 5, 
it says here, you shall follow my decrees and keep my ordinances to walk in them. Again, it's that whole walking thing. And I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does them, so there's a doing justice, then he shall live by them. I am the Lord. So there God's saying, I am your God. And if you recognize me as your God, then these are things that you're going to do. Keep my commandments and do justice, right? Pretty simple. So let's look a little later on. Leviticus 26. Leviticus 26 and 46. And it says... These are the statutes and judgments and laws that the Lord made between himself and the children of Israel on Mount Sinai by the hand of Moses. That's when God gave the commandments to Moses. And he's saying, these are the statutes and judgments and laws that the Lord made between himself. So from there, we see that doing justice, there seems to be a relational aspect in there because it's saying that these judgments were made between himself and the children of Israel. So there's a relationship aspect to doing justice, or at least doing God's justice. And this is where it gets really cool. Because growing up, every time that I heard about the Ten Commandments and the laws, I always viewed it as this is stuff that you need to do in order to you know, be good. Or this is just stuff that you need to do. And you look at it as almost like chains. But we know that it's not that. So if we go to Deuteronomy 7. And so we're still trying to figure out what does do justice look like? What does it mean? Yeah, Deuteronomy 7. And we look at verses 7. 7 through 9, and 11 through 12. And this is beautiful here. It says, The Lord did not set his love on you, nor chose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all the peoples. But it is because the Lord loved you, and because he kept the oath which he swore to your fathers. The Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of slavery, from the hand of the Pharaoh, king of Egypt. It's because that God loved you that he brought you out of all of these obstacles that whatever you're going through. It's because that he loved you. And then it says in 11, therefore keep the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which I command you today by, again, doing them. There's the doing aspect. If you listen to these judgments, keep them and do them, then the Lord your God shall keep with you the covenant an agreement, and the mercy which he swore to your fathers. And so I'm thinking about this, and I'm like, does that mean our relationship with God is if we do these things and he blesses us and he does all of these good things for us as long as we follow his word and do what he says? And I was thinking about that, and I'm like, I know it's not that because that was the whole issue in Job, right? In Job, Satan said, Job only follows you because you keep blessing him. But at the end of it, we know that Job follows God because he loves God. It's his relationship with him. It's not because of how he blesses him. Because when everything's taken away, 
Job is still loyal to God. So we know it's not that. And so here's that love aspect. God is saying, I loved you, and because I love you, you're going to do these things. And so if we dig deeper into that, he says this after he gives the commandments, and he says this pretty much directly after he gives the greatest commandment, right, which sums up all the other commandments, which is, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be in your heart. And so really God is telling them, I just want you guys to love me, to love me completely. And when I thought about that, I'm like, you know what? That kind of sounds like my wedding vows. That kind of sounds like how I'm supposed to love Heather. With all my being, I'm supposed to love her. You know, and so I looked up, I'm like, what are these wedding vows? Because I actually don't remember exactly, you know, what the wedding vows are. I don't know. I'm pretty sure for anyone that got married, it's pretty hard to remember exactly what did the pastor, the preacher, the priest said about, you know, what the wedding vows are. We can remember loosely. There's a, you know, my name is Alex, and I take Heather, my wife, and I'm going to love her forever type of thing, right? But what, what exactly is actually said here? And so I looked it up, and here's a piece of it. Will you have this woman to be your wife, to live together in holy marriage? Will you love her, comfort her, honor and keep her in sickness and in health, forsaking all others, be faithful to her as long as you both shall live? And then the reply is what? In the name of God, I, Alex, take you, Heather, she's not here, <laughs> to be my wife, to have and to hold for this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, all of that, right? And then it ends with, this is my vow, right? And they call those wedding vows. So let's look at that again. Will you have this God to be your God to live together? Will you love God? Well, not really going to comfort God, but honor God and keep God despite the sickness, despite the health, forsaking all other gods. I, Alex, take you, Lord Jesus Christ, to be my God, to have and to hold. For better or for worse, no matter if I'm rich, no matter if I'm poor, not only just to have and to hold from this day forward, but I, Alex, take you, Jesus Christ, my God, to be my only God, to not have other idols, to not take your name in vain, to remember your Sabbath day, because I want to continue dating you weekly, to honor my father and mother, to not kill, to not steal, to not lie tonight, to not covet. And so when I look at that, I'm like, wow, you know? If we look at the metaphor and the illustration that Jesus puts out there of saying his church is his bride, and that's who he's going to marry, the church of Israel was his bride that he wanted to marry, what happened there on the mountain was a covenant and them giving their wedding vows. Now, when you think about that, I don't remember exactly what my wedding vows are. I don't know if you guys do, but you do what the wedding vows say. 
right? Because of your relationship with your husband or because of the relationship you have with your wife. You're going to naturally do that. Same thing with the commandments. Because of your vow with God, you're going to naturally keep those vows, naturally keep those commandments. You didn't have to keep those to become a husband or to become a wife. You were just already loving each other and it just so happens, this is what a husband and wife does. You didn't have to be, do these things and keep these vows beforehand and say, all right, now I'm a husband, now I'm a wife. No, it was, I love you, you love me, we're husband and wife now, this is what it looks like. God loved his people and he said he loved his people. He pulled them out of the hardships. He pulls us out of the hardships. And God says, this is what our marriage looks like. He broke it down to 10 things. He broke down those 10 things to two other things. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbors, right? And so we see when every time that God talks about do justice, do this, this is what he's referring to. He's referring to keeping your wedding vows with God at the end of the day. And that's exactly what all of those people did. They just kept their wedding vows. Now the opportunity arose for them to step out and to outreach the community of Chicago. But if every day we're not being that husband or wife to God, then when a moment and opportunities happens, if we're not doing that, God can't use us to do his work, right? It's kind of like your relationship with your husband and wife, you practice that every day. So when something big happens or a big problem happens, you guys are able to handle that issue because you've been practicing being a husband and wife every single day. So you're ready for it. Same thing here. All those believers, all those followers, they were ready to go out to the craziest parts of Chicago and the results of that, God worked through them and there was no violence in the city of Chicago for a whole day. And when you look at the police scanners, that was the only time it was like that for that whole summer of last year. Not a protest, they did justice. They kept their vows with God. And when we echo and we look back to what it said in Genesis 18, it says, right, to walk in the way of the Lord. And then it says all that other stuff about doing justice. Walk in the way of the Lord. What is the way of the Lord? And this is the beautiful part. If you remember in Psalm 77, it talks about the way being, your way is the sanctuary. And when we look at that, and if you study what goes on in the sanctuary and you break down what happens, you see that that's a metaphor what Jesus' work is, right? Outside of the courtyard, Jesus was with the people who lived with the people of Israel. Steps into the courtyard, he gets baptized, he gets sacrificed. He moves to being a high priest for praying for us. He moves to being the chief priest. And so through there, we see all the different roles of Jesus Christ and we begin to understand a little more about what he does, who he is, what he is for us. Just like when you get married, you start to learn more about, oh, so this is what Heather really does as a speech pathologist. This is the type of patience she needs to display when she handles kids. Or for her, wow, 
Alex can kind of actually cook. You know, we begin to learn more about each other in our roles. And that's the beautiful thing about, that's why it says the way is in your sanctuary, because you get to learn about Jesus and his roles. And the more you learn about someone that you're beginning to love, the more you love them, the more that you ride for them, the more that you're down for them, the more that you'll do anything for them, just like what Jesus did for us, which was lay down his life for the sake of us so that we can be reconciled back to God. And that's exactly what those people did in Chicago last year. And so it just makes me think, man, they did that for one Sunday and there was peace. Maybe those areas don't need more policing, need more investigation. Maybe what those people need are people that can love, and that can bring healing to relationships. And we live in a state with a city where there's probably the most hopelessness out of everywhere. And I hear it and I see it every day when I record my clients. And I hear all of the stories and I see it in their eyes. And so the opportunity is there for God to work. If you want to see God work, if you want to see the supernatural powers of God, test him on this. Because the people did last year and God responded. And so, Micah tells us, right, he's, he says to do justice, to love kindly, and to walk humbly with God. I was doing some research and I found this. In 1630, John Winthrop stood abroad the ship Arbella and addressed the people of the ships that would become known as the Winthrop Fleet. Puritans, they were about to step ashore to form what would become the Massachusetts Bay Colony. And before they could, Winthrop preached a sermon to them about what they were about to do. Using Jesus' words, Winthrop told them that the new community they would form would be like a shining city on a hill one that would be looked at by the whole world. He said that because of the attention, they needed to be careful that the whole experiment not end in what he called the shipwreck, right? I think what people might see in these areas of Chicago, they might call that a shipwreck, or in modern day terms, a train wreck. In his sermon that day, he quoted an Old Testament prophet, Micah, whose words were read before the sermon speaking to a city in distress, one that had lost its way and was trying to get back on track, Micah asked rhetorically, what does God require of you? And the answer wasn't burnt offerings or sacrifices or anything like that. Instead, it was just these three simple things. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. Now, when you see all these calamities happening, I'm sure you want to just, you want to be able to do something, but you don't know how to do something. Here it is. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. Because when you do that and God calls you to do the work that he needs you to do, you'll be ready. And we don't know what that work is going to look like. But what we know is that every day we do justice, we love kindness, and we walk humbly with God and we build on our relationship with God, and we keep those winning vows that we have with him, 
and then God can use that and work through us to do amazing things, right? It says with our faith, so much faith, we can move mountains. Last year, they didn't move mountains, they moved hearts that brought peace upon Chicago. So if this is something that you guys, to reaffirm your vows you want to do, let's stand up and let's confirm that with a prayer. Loving Father, all of us today are reminded about how much you love us. And we see that there's such a great work to do, not just here in Schaumburg, but in our neighboring city, Chicago. And we even know one of your messengers, one of your prophets said, you don't need to live in the city, live in the suburbs or live in the, further out from the city and go to do work in the city. We don't need to live there. And it looks like that's our situation here. And so, Father, I just ask on this Sabbath, you just continue to reveal yourself to us and that we can just learn about you to draw closer to you. So you can use us as an inspiration and an encouraging light to others who don't have the hope that's in you. Father, we thank you. And we ask all of this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.